0: light, light them up boys, there's your picture, drop the shadows This is Jennifer Stone with stone's throw today is uh, the first the first of February. It's so nice to have it be the first. you know makes me feel I can start all over again. <laughs> oh dear, deja vu all over again is what it's all about folks uh, it looks like uh it looks like things are getting better uh but a stupid thing to say. <laughs> I can't find I can't find the piece. I brought in a piece today to to uh, tell you about but it's all about uh about Burma Hansan Suchi. She was on the radio late last night, four o'clock, and uh well I've lost the article. Uh check it out, it's in the New Yorker. And what what moved me so much was the fact that uh well she She's trying, of course, to save her country and save the world, and like so many other people. <laughs> and uh, the article in The New Yorker describes the way her older son, Alex, let's see, Alex is 37. He's the older son of Hang San Suu Chi. I always mispronounce it. Uh, the younger son is a little more sympathetic, but the word that The New Yorker uses is... Troubled. The son is troubled by her participation in politics. He, of course, would appear to be a conventional son, and he wants his mom to do what mothers do, blah, blah, blah. Of course, I have no way of knowing the story, the details. I just find it hilarious, <laughs> grim, actually, that whenever a woman decides to, what's the word, uh, Go outside, go beyond uh, her family, you know, try to be compassionate and uh, wise uh, in her community, her town, her city, the world uh, obviously uh, that 's a sign that her husband and her children have to straighten her out i I remember reading a wonderful book by uh Elvina Alvarez It was it was called Uh, It was about a woman in Honduras, she was doing land reclamation, right, and um, uh, she had seven children, the book was called, um, uh, the book was called um, something, yes, good luck gringo, yes, uh, we'll come and help you, yes, (laughs) anyway, she, she promised to come up here, come up to the United States and help us with our revolution, and... She said uh, oh don't be afraid gringo that was the title of her book don't be afraid gringo but her husband was fed up in no time and he um he divorced her and the children and all like that uh it's interesting i was thinking you know what would christ do if <laughs> if, if well i i guess even even for the male uh yes uh those of your own household are the first ones to reject you and to uh, uh, wish that you would pay attention to them. It's interesting. Anyway, check out the article in The New Yorker, Hans, again, she's i uh, I'm trying to think the date. I think it's 24th January is that article, but you can't miss it. Uh, what I like, of course, is uh being able to turn on the radio last night. It was the uh, BBC It was two o'clock in the morning, and they actually had her on the telephone the um The telephone line was impossible, but something's better than nothing, and I'm sure they'll get a better line soon uh The excitement about Tunisia and egypt uh is really catching fire. Uh, who knew who knew this is where this is where it would come from but uh and this morning it's jordan i just think we should uh sit very quietly and watch those of us here in the west just wait and see wait and see uh looks like something, something progressive is happening, but we don't really know yet, folks, and we don't really know what um, the U.S. State Department should be doing about the whole thing, I just know that it's wonderfully exciting, and I just think it's fascinating that, uh, that the women, the women are finding an opportunity, uh, I looked in my shelves last night. I was digging around for something about, let's see, the only Egyptian woman that I've been reading is uh Nawal el-Sadawe. And it's ages since, let see, she's 80 now. Actually, Sadawe was the first, the first feminist author that I read here on KPFA back in 1981 or 82, I can't remember. Uh <clears throat> she had spoken out about female genital mutilation, a hideous practice uh which of course feminists are still struggling to uh, uh to get off the face of the planet, but uh, who knows? Uh Sad, sad, sad. Anyway, um, Nawal Zadawe is back in Cairo. I think she's she was here. She was teaching here for years. And she didn't have a great deal to say about the current revolution. But uh, I remember when she came here to Berkeley once, she was in Wheeler Auditorium. And uh, she is as well, uh, she's a doctor and a feminist, but she is as well uh, a Marxist, a politician. And the audience at Wheeler was <laughs> a, a, a cluster of women um, veiled, and they got up and walked out on her. They were very disapproving. And there were a number of men who came to voice their objections to her existence. (laughs) Yes, he said that she was breaking tradition. She had been in jail. Uh, There's an Egyptian law called, uh, Egyptian law number 94 for the protection of values against shame. Anyway, they put her in Kandahar prison. And uh, I remember writing it up for a little local newspaper called Grassroots. And uh, eventually she was... Let out of prison now, uh, with any luck, yes, we will be hearing more from her and from the uh, progressives, the, the poets and prophets in Egypt, people that have been pretty much uh, off the radar for the last couple of decades Uh in any case, what I did want to do today was go back to school. Yes, let us review our notes, boys and girls. I've been getting a few things in the mail recently that made me remember what it is that I'm supposed to be doing here as a culture critic. And I thought about it because. Last night, it was so obvious, listening to all the radio stations, uh, how important it is for uh, activists, revolutionaries, to have control of the media. We all know that that's the new territory. Uh, borders used to be, you know, something on land, um, uh, geographic. Now, it's something entirely different. Uh, The information age is, uh, uh, what is that, Uh, a paradigm shift, that awful phrase. (laughs) Anyway, nowadays, I I think of uh, the Philippine Revolution when I heard on the news someone cried out, we have taken Channel 4, and I thought, well, the war is won, you know, it's like storming the Bastille, they made it. It's so exciting, Uh, I'm sure that they will get their uh, access to the net and everything pretty soon they're working it out there's no way there's no way you can turn off the world anymore so that is the historic change for the 21st century the 20th century was all about this this what is it this revolution the screen the film whether you call it television movies whatever uh a whole new age. I keep thinking always when I watch old films, I think, just imagine what it would be like if we had an honest-to-God newsreel of um, our forefathers, yes, uh, (laughs) Tom Jefferson. He wouldn't get away with that nonsense today. (laughs) Anyway, I'm sure that um, Sally Hemings would I take him to court. Anyway, uh, the point is that we have this new world, and we have to use it. We have to find something to do with it. I, I always get a kick out of all my old friends who tell me that television is the devil's paintbrush. You know, uh, it's kind of like they, they talk about it as if, um, you know, um, as if I were a meat eater or something. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think we all understand now that TV is part of our world. I'm one of those rare individuals who came of age without it. And therefore, I keep telling myself that I can see it from a distance, you know, that I have the great overview. I was 25 before I even had a television set in my home. It came with my first pregnancy. (laughs) Yes. I had to go to bed early and watch uh, Jack Parr, right, Joke. Uh, Anyway, I read McLuhan and the Medium is the Message, and I tried to help my children become media critics, but they just got bored and went out and got some exercise, which, of course, was a better idea anyway. But uh, I got hooked on the... uh, uh, television because I'm a theater person, and having been an English teacher for a decade or so, I had come to understand that in our age, books aren't quite enough. Uh, Written language is still my favorite thing. I always say, words stay warmer longer. But there are moments and scenes in films that have changed my life and that I still use to color my existence. It's an amazing habit I have. I click on the television at 2 in the morning, and it's kind of like reading the I Ching. Invariably, something pops up that, that, that tells me a truth. Reflections in a Golden Eye with Marlon Brando. Elizabeth Taylor and uh Julie Harris what a knockout movie that is uh i was watching bits of it and thinking how what is it how astonishing how new age uh it is to to have that sort of thing you know right at my bedside now uh i was watching maggie smith in a rather generic masterpiece theater production, uh, <laughs> and she, she has all these funny scenes in which she is a woman, let's see, she plays a woman living in 1913 and 1914, and she's all upset about the telephone and the electricity, this is all very cute, you know, you can remember something in a foresight saga episode in which the woman used a the figure of a doll to cover up the telephone because of course it was so ugly and you know it was machinery she didn't want anybody to to see the damn thing uh the telephone and oh the electricity i think uh, maggie smith keeps turning her head aside and putting her hand up because the electricity is too bright and I, I don't, I think that's quite reasonable. I quit using electricity in the evening. I, I think that, uh, you know, um, some of the magic went out of our lives when we uh, became, what is that, uh, electric, electrified. When we began to spend our evenings in that bright, bright light, uh, it certainly changed worship. It certainly changed religion, the church, that kind of thing, Uh in any way, in any case uh i uh I became a contemplative couch potato sometime in my forties, and uh <laughs> I decided to analyze the damn thing uh it's my school teacher gene uh <laughs> get get to the end of any love affair, analyze it uh. In the 70s, I had been struggling and struggling as a poet and fiction writer because, you know, how we are, we egoists, we thought that the right phrase could change the world. <laughs> Nowadays, every time I publish an article and try to give it to my friends, they moan and say, oh, can't you just tell me what it's about? Oh, uh, yes, it's so difficult um. To think, I I struggled with the issues of sexism and racism back in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. <laughs> and now, now I yes, I keep getting up every morning and saying, as we must live on and suffer. Uh, I suppose it's a Sisyphus. It's a Sisyphus struggle. You roll the stone up the hill, and then it rolls right back down over you and crushes you. Uh, Nevertheless, I think that TV can change the world. I have an old friend, um, she's long gone now, and she hid in France during the Second World War. She was a Jew, and she lived in a Catholic household. (laughs) <laughs> and she said that uh, uh, when she returned after the war to confront some of the people who had said such terrible things about the Jews, um, she asked them if they understood what had happened in the 1940s. And she said that the people who worked on the farm where she had lived uh, said, oh, yes, yes. They they had seen that movie about Anne Frank. So, now, no. no? Now they understood what had happened. Uh, anyway, uh, I think even today, the conservative, the conservative folks, they they can't take it. They just want to be comforted. They just want to be. They they say, I just want to be entertained. Don't critique the damn thing. Uh, you know how it is. They want. Uh, they want their ideas reinforced. I'm interested lately, I've been listening to several uh, several arguments about how we can change the mind, say, of people. The people, you know, don't believe in evolution, that sort of thing. And it's getting harder and harder. It's getting trickier and trickier. Uh, I do think that generic TV, uh well, first of all, it's almost entirely all about itself. But... If you study it carefully, there are things we could call new ideas. I finally had to admit, and this is a tough one, that some of our sitcoms, um, shallow and tiresome as they may be, if you look carefully, uh, the best of them are as good as French farces. And even the mediocre ones have a tendency to be what I would call uh humane. They are about problem solving, and they are about how to treat your friends, uh well, the golden rule sort of thing, you know. Uh, study it carefully, and you will find that uh, the average American sitcom is usually a morality tale, a little study about how to be a better friend, relative, better mother, father, sister, brother, how to uh, transcend your bigotry. I'm afraid it's all true. It's that Judeo-Christian thing that got started in Hollywood years and years and years ago when all of those stuffed shirts, male, of course, mm, decided that they wanted to teach us all how to be good. Uh, Actually, their last, their last ditch here, I was thinking the other day, sexism is still with them. I was watching a wonderful picture called Little Big Man. It's a uh Dustin Hoffman vehicle, very old. It's all about a man who at the age of hundred and twenty one recalls life in the old West and the m- movie is wonderfully um this that enlightened it shows how <laughs> how awful um our history proves us to be, but um there are still scenes in which um well, let's say prostitutes are treated uh, uh without well, they're cute, you know, it's still prostitution is still considered to be um, a cutesy uh issue, but sexism is the last revolution, folks. Um when we have a, a post feminist world, then then I'll know uh it's time to retire. Anyway. Back in the day, I wrote my first television reviews for a woman's newspaper called Plexus. Uh, Pretty soon, I was writing a column called TV or Not. I wrote that column for four years. I was inspired by a television show called Why the Caged Bird Sings from a book by Maya Angelou. I was astonished, because I had found a story in which sexism trumped racism. I thought, how can this be? Surely, uh, Maya Angelou's first issue, social, sociopolitical issue, would be racism. But no, no, it was the oppression, if you like, um, rape, so forth, uh, the horrors that she suffered as a child, Uh in a world ruled by men. Anyway, this controversy uh, is uh, still with us. I think of the, the book, The Color Purple. That was the biggie. That was the, uh, what is it, the hub of the wheel. All that criticism. Uh, it set off a furor, particularly about the image of black males as they are portrayed in literature and film. I like very much what Danny Glover said. He played Mr. in the film of the Color Purple. He played the uh, role of the not-so-nice guy. And he was talking to a black youngster in the audience at the San Francisco Film Festival. And the young boy asked him why he played the bad guy in the movie. And Danny Glover said, Well, you see, a bad guy doesn't know he's bad when he's doing it. He went on to explain um, how Alice Walker was such an honest writer and how uh, there are truths that uh, are not universal. You know, uh, a truth does not mean the truth. And, of course, then, he talked a little bit about the positive image of black men. Ah, I always think of James Baldwin's autobiographical book, Go Tell It on the Mountain. That's my favorite, and I I don't see it much. I don't see it on the lists so much in the schools anymore. Uh, It comes right after Richard Wright's books, Go Tell It on the Mountain. It came to the screen... About the same time as the color purple, but you know, it didn't. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't hit hit the right spot. Its portrayal of black experience in America was too subtle, too complex to capture the interest, uh, especially the interests of prurient folks. uh you know, the male malaise, as a number of writers have pointed out. Uh, there were certain parties in our culture who were delighted to see the portrayal of the black men in the color purple. Uh, I guess, I guess, you can't please all the people all the time, as I said here too, I had to answer a note from a a listener, sent me a note, uh, something to do... Oh, yes, here it is, something to do with my uh, participation in the morning show, what he called the morning show mess. And I... uh, He says I should not cooperate with the morning show mess, I just wanted to say, I don't cooperate with anybody, all I do at KPFA is my own thing, anybody asks me to come on their airtime, I just pop right in there with my two cents worth, I am what we call a freelance gadfly, <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun, I tell you, anyway, the show must go on, uh, I'm sure we will settle all this internal nonsense, but uh, it is painful. I know it is painful. And if I have offended, I am deeply sorry, but uh, we must just keep this door open here, folks. We have a marathon coming up soon. Starts on Valentine's Day. Oh, God. Anyway, back in the day, I went on writing my monthly reviews, and I began... Oh, I had little spots on Cape Eiffel trying to, you know, shake my feminist fist in the air. I kept digging around for scraps, something to give us hope, something to point to the future. My favorite television show at the time was on the BBC. It was called Shoulder to Shoulder. It was a series all about the English suffragists. Uh, that's jest, G-I-S-T-S, not suffragettes. That was a um, uh, trivialization of the word. It was used, I think, in only in England. Anyway, um, the word is suffragists. The uh, family in England, the Pankhursts, were the famous uh, feminists, before World War I, the great Sean Phillips played Emmeline Pankhurst. Uh, yes, it was a wonderful, wonderful, dramatic series. All these poor women being force-fed, much screaming. Anyway, the next series that uh, I reviewed for a feminist paper was called Notorious Woman, all about... The late great George Sand in the 19th century, that starred Rosemary Harris. And next on my list was The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie, with Geraldine McEwen. Uh, actually, there's a movie, too. The one with uh, Maggie Smith as Miss Jean Brodie. I love Jean Brody. She's... Uh, uh doppelganger of mine. She's the know-it-all, silly um, school teacher, you know. She's really quite uh, quite sophisticated, that is to say. She sleeps around, but uh she has these what I would call uh two dimensional ideas, you know. She adores Mussolini. Anyway, Miss Jean Brody is a threat to our daughters. Anyway muriel spark wrote that wonderful book uh actually i tried to make out a case for some of the working class uh shows shows oh let's see we did have laverne and shirley about two girls who worked in a brewery and uh the the average sitcom in those days was about middle class so-called middle class folks that is uh I notice now that working class people have become middle class, so there's no problem there. Uh, The shows that were popular, let's see, the women's shows, Mary Tyler Moore, Rhoda, Phyllis Maud, Maud, yes. In the end, the network shows said too much about too little, and I can't be bothered to watch them anymore, uh, The last one, the one they'll bury me with, is probably Golden Girls. Now, pep talks are not plays. But the truth is that there is some substance as well as some style on television these days. Uh, Next week, I want to talk about uh, what's on HBO this season. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till next time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Out of In San Francisco, I'm Danny Wood. on the next making contact in cancun negotiators fell far far short of what was needed in terms of a fair ambitious and binding climate deal from kyoto to copenhagen to cancun The United Nations climate negotiations have become increasingly ineffective. Despite growing awareness about the perils of climate change, those in power seemingly aren't willing to budge. We didn't come close in Congress. Big polluters didn't even have to really lift their pinky finger to fight back. Change will not come from D.C. It'll have to come to D.C and it'll have to be brought by the leadership of the grassroots. On this edition, voices from the streets of Cancun, and a look at where the world might turn for answers in the face of government leaders refusing to take action. That's Making Contact, Friday